Hello, this is Sally Hughes on the Beauty Podcast with Sally Hughes, brought to you by Avon. In the last episode, I had Jennifer Rock of The Skin Nerd and Dr. Emma Craythorn from TV's Bad Skin Clinic, and you had so many questions for us that we just couldn't fit them in. So we decided to keep on rolling. We delayed Jennifer for her flight back to Dublin to try and squeeze in as many of your queries as possible. So let's return to that conversation. Jennifer, Emma, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. Thanks again. So where Yearn wants to know, please can you share your thoughts about dermaplaning? It intrigues and scares me in equal measure. Is it to be avoided like plague or beneficial in the hands of a good aesthetician? So we should just explain, this is such a kind of social media phenomenon, isn't it, dermaplaning? Jennifer, why don't you talk us through the principle of it? I suspect I know what you're going to say about what you feel about it, but let's let's first talk about what the hell it is. Oh, so this is actually a hard question for me. Again, it's a really commonly asked question. So ultimately, my understanding of it is, I haven't ever actually seen it being performed in real life, is that it's almost like a scalpel-like device where they remove the vellus hair, i.e. the fluffy hair on the side of your face. Some people are prone to more, some people are prone to less. I'm just not, I'm not a huge fan of it. I feel the vellus hair serves a purpose. I understand aesthetically and confidence-wise, men and women are like one to try and affect it, but I just, it's a no-go for me. I don't see the purpose. I don't see so why. why do they do it? Okay, it's... so let me tell you why they think they're doing it. Yeah. Without I don't know it, anything it, okay. about it. <laughs> so, so dermaplaning is a thing that really took off on social media a couple of years mm. ago. The principle, which we can explain the flaws in a sec, the principle is that if you remove the soft downy hairs from your face, you get this kind of glassy appearance to the skin and your skin hair penetrates better and your makeup looks very smooth and that your skin kind of looks immaculate. I have so many problems so with it. So it's like it. a shaving It's, it's a shaving like a very close shave. It's like when you go to the barber. everything, and every sh- tiny little hair on your cheek. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I suppose my problem is it, with it, first of all, is kind of political. It's like I don't need another thing to worry about yeah. as a woman. I just don't need to worry about tiny, tiny baby downy hairs all over my face. But secondly, they have a function, yeah. those hairs. That's what I'm saying. They protect, they, they do have a function. I do understand, though, people do feel quite down about them. Like we might be fortunate enough to not have too many of them, so it doesn't bother us. I can't imagine at all how it would help assist skin care. Does it have a mechanical irritation to the skin whenever you do it? So does it rub the actual epidermis away as well? Well, it it must affect because yeah. they effectively use a scalpel, don't they? So it must take away um, some barrier function. It yeah. must do. So moving on, I think we're all against it. Um, Grania wants to know how to stop my skin eating foundation. I hear this so often. Skincare, yep. Primer, check. Long-lasting formulas, powder, setting spray check I despair I've tried so many products and techniques by lunchtime I look as though I haven't bothered I think a lot of people say yes to skincare but they might not necessarily be doing it um, in the correct manner or the correct ingredients so my analogy for that is often it's like someone going to the gym doing a twirl and leaving but they've been to the gym so it's like are you really doing skincare or are you not so I would query and I'd love to know what it is that she's using first and foremost yeah it's same same here. Very often when people come to me with makeup problems, if I start going backwards, I find the problem 
is happening with the skin that they that they never exfoliate and they've got kind of clumps of dead skin all over the face or there'll be something of that nature. So I guess we'll need to know more. Petra wants to know, how do I get rid of a bump on my nostril, which my GP described as a blocked follicle? Emma, do you see this sort of stuff in your um, clinic? Yeah, I see a lot. So I um, run the, the all of the skin cancer side of things also. So a lot of people will be referred up being concerned, perhaps this is a skin cancer. Um, and I suppose that is the thing that you also want to think about. If you have something that's appeared as a bump on your nose and it's not clearing away, um, that you would want to go and have it looked at just to ensure that it isn't a skin cancer. And particularly on the nose, it's a very common site for something called basal cell carcinoma. In terms of a blocked pore that's on the nose or a blocked gland, it might be something called a sebaceous hyperplasia. Um, And if it is the thing, sebaceous hyperplasia, then they're fairly easy to remove um, or have a a laser applied to them to flush them down. Um, But it really depends on what it is as to what you would want to then do afterwards. And Um, how firm can you be with your GP? So if if I had a bump on my nose that had hung around, I personally would want to see a dermatologist because I'd be worried I had skin cancer. If your GP says, no, no, it's just a a blocked sebaceous gland or whatever the doctor said, what are you able as a patient to say to your doctor if it just doesn't feel right still? If things don't feel right and you have spoken to somebody and and you're still concerned that you might have a skin cancer or you don't feel confident with the diagnosis that you've been given, then you need to push it further because set up around um, the UK, there are two week weight um, clinics where if you have a skin lump or bump that you're concerned about, that you can go into these clinics and have them assessed in that way. So if you feel that you're not confident with the answers that you've been given, you you should ask again. Um, nobody it's hard will... though, isn't it? I think sometimes when you're the patient, you put all your trust into the person that's yes, advising. And but... if you're not an assertive character by nature, you think, oh, well, you know, maybe it's okay. But then you're right. The worry that they have at home is just constantly sitting on their uh, And their I think mind. even as, do- you know, as doctors, as dermatologists, I, I've been caught out and looking at something and thinking, oh, I'm sure that's not a skin cancer. But anyway, um, I'll see you back in six weeks. So it's probably worth saying, look, I know that you've said this now. I am still a bit worried. Can I come back in four weeks' time and we'll have a look at this again? Um, so I think it's it's worth it's definitely worth worth pushing if you're concerned that you might have a skin cancer. I can't emphasize that enough because you know early diagnosis means that things get treated in a much more effective way. So it's kind of trusting your gut, isn't it, about what's normal for you and what's right for you. And there's no doctor or GP that would be upset by that, by challenging and asking, are you sure, Um, can we look at this again together? That's good to know. I suppose that's what I was getting at. I I find it reassuring to hear a doctor say, it's okay for you to push us. Of course it is, yeah. That's great to know. This question, mm, this is a this is a kind of obsession of mine. I get asked this a lot. I'd like to know about the reality about how much good skincare will actually fix. I what are its limitations and when do you need to be surgical, non-surgical? I feel so strongly about this. I got a I got sent a serum last week that was three hundred and seventy pounds. Uh, it was an anti-wrinkle serum and it's like, okay, if anti-wrinkle That's is your... That's why you look your... so good today, Sam, you look 12. <laughs> I, just, I, I just thought if anti-wrinkle is your primary concern and a serum is 370 quid, you might as well get Botox for 250. I just can't, you know, if, if your main thing is wrinkles that you want to get rid of, no serum 
at any money is going to achieve the same result yeah. as Botox. £370. I just don't think any skincare product is worth 370 quid. Yeah, so, I mean, when you think of some of the, the retinoids, so the prescription-grade retinoids, which are the things that we know mm-hmm. have a clinical evidence base to yes. them in reducing photoaging and reducing fine lines, mm-hmm. that's pretty much the only thing that has got good, solid mm-hmm. evidence behind it. Indeed. If you were to go from, say, a 0.05% of a tretinoin, that costs you probably around between 30 and £40 pounds for one that's going to be comfortable to use on yeah. your skin and that'll last you about maybe six to ten weeks, depending on how you use it. That is the only topical thing other than sunscreen that's going to be as effective if that's what you want for. So I completely agree. You'd be better to spend the money on something else entirely, like Botox. <laughs> so, so at which point, Jennifer, are you saying look, this is a situation I can't fix. I can't help you with. So I have this a lot when people come to me about sagging necks and they want product. I say nothing. No no product's going to work. When they have big eye bags, I say no eye cream. Nothing is going to sort that out. You might be able to help a little bit with retinol. So where are you saying enough? Similar. Similar. And like, unfortunately, people don't often thank me for it so say for example I'm doing an event and people queue at the end and you know it might be textual problems or a little bit of redness or like for me it's different to you Emma where we have people that have fairly healthy skin but just want to invest a little further in maintaining it for example but if somebody comes with eye bags it's it's not my remit someone comes as you said with a neck that's sagging platysm muscles I I can't no cream will fix that and I think it's immoral and ethical as a facialist for me to say otherwise because A you'll never believe me again B you've just spent so much money and C you actually feel worse Ten weeks yeah. later, having spent X amount, yeah. so I think it's about having respect for your industry and being able to work almost like a jigsaw puzzle to refer on. Be it that you know someone or you don't, but you give the person the information as to who they should go and see as a as a career even, and then they decide, like you said earlier, how they research, etc. Um, but I do think jigsaw jigsaw is a great word in that. I still believe not that it will fix your neck, etc., but that how you look after yourself. Skincare isn't just topical; it is looking after yourself, having time to yourself, try not to yeah. sit in front of computer as much, get outside turn off your computer, have as well of a rest of sleep as you can, eat as good as you can, still live your life. And I think people have to see skincare as an overall approach as opposed to this eye cream, which we already discussed, uh, won't really work. There is something in our culture, though, where some people want the dream, even if it's nonsense. So, for example, my mother-in-law will email me very often. She's, you know, almost 80. She'll email me very often and say she's read something in the Daily Mail about a neck cream that will completely firm her neck and it's £150 and what do I think? And my answer is always, it won't work. It can't work. It's not possible that it works. But she wants to buy it she wants it but we all want yes. we all want a quick and solution and to life when, don't even we even when I who have been doing this job for 25 <laughs> you want years it too. <laughs> is saying it won't work it cannot work she wants it but there's something about it isn't there that you see that in front of you and sometimes even whenever I'm walking through the airport I'm looking at all the different things or I'm thinking oh wow that's amazing I was like what am I doing like, yeah. don't be taken in but it's marketing marketing is so it's, powerful that's the whole thing yeah but nobody wants to be told to look at your diet be wary of how much inflammation yeah, you're boring. exposed to that's yeah. that's hard that's hard work buy a product 300 euro or 300 pounds example you you want that to be the yeah. miracle in the bottle but I think that you've it's perfect what you said this kind of jigsaw of everybody fitting in at the exact point that they need to fit it's it's, that was such a lovely description yeah let's stick with eyes claire wants to know 
what can I and can't I use? Do I really need an expensive eye cream? Well, we've kind of answered that. I think that's a no. I think we all agree that um, that eye creams are not great. But then her question does go on in a way that's, I think, relevant. She says, how do I apply eye cream? How much pressure do I need to massage? I mean, I always do moisturise around my eyes and I'm a bit more careful there than I would be elsewhere. So what would be your best practices for application? I'm probably not as meticulous as I should be, to be honest. So I'll apply my like, serum product, whichever, all around. And I would probably, I probably, because I'm a facialist, I'm trained to use fingers differently in certain parts of the face. So I do tend to automatically use my ring finger because there's least tendons in it. So yeah. it tends to be a lighter pressure, lighter touch. But in general, we tend not to really maul our eye because it's a tender area. So again, like what we said earlier, just use a serum that you can apply on the eyelid through Everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And I don't tend to change too much. Lighter pressure, that's about it. Tapping yeah. motions can be nice psychologically if you feel you're slightly puffy. Um, but that's really it. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I would just use exactly the same way, but just use slightly less pressure whenever you're around the eye. But there is, there, there's um, a condition called periocular dermatitis, and you can get it around the mouth as well, the perioral dermatitis. And sometimes this is caused because people end up not putting enough moisturiser around this area. So you do need to make sure that there, it is going on. And sometimes when we put the very light serums on or the very light eye creams, it's perhaps not going to be moisturising enough. So the barrier in this area is then going to be more prone to irritation or eczema or this um, periocular yeah. dermatitis. So um, it's just about getting the moisturising cream on. You know, your your simplest, simplest moisturiser. And long do you know as what people on. always forget is to apply any product to the lip and the ear. So we often, and you, and I really think that's a key thing to... Yeah, like we see lots of skin cancers around yes. the ears and where people course. don't wear. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it's, act, it's quite phenomenal. And they're, they're very high-risk skin cancers as well. When they present on the lip and the ear, They, they these are the areas that do um, much worse prognostically um, whenever you get a skin cancer in these areas so it's so important that you do remember the tops of your ears and most of the skin cancers we see in this area are in men because of their shorter hair so um, it's for they they really do need to do that and then also importantly the lip balm with the SPF in it Men are getting better with their skin in general though aren't they? I think so They're certainly spending more Um, You mentioned perioral dermatitis then that's Kristen's problem she says help myself and a few friends have developed it I thought it was from steroid use but heard it's also from some makeup I just can't shift it do I need to give up wearing makeup before I come to you two I would say check your toothpaste as well very often your toothpaste can can be causing that yeah, so um, the list of chemicals that can cause perioral dermatitis is long. Um, and the commonest thing really is steroids. So either topical steroids that have been put on the skin or inhaled steroids that people are taking perhaps for their asthma. Um, and so if you have asthma and you develop this, then it might be worth um, changing the type of inhaler that you're using so that you can reduce the risk of that. Um, but so that's the top of the list. But you're right. So triclosan that you'll find in your toothpaste can cause it. Um, certain um, chemicals you'll find within makeup can cause it, but the chewing gum um, can cause it. So the list goes on Endless. and on. But um, the main thing really is about the to try and protect it and improve the barrier in that area. Um, and sometimes some people will need to go on to a topical retinoid or topical antibiotics in combination to improve it. And then sometimes actually you do need to go on to a, a six-week course of an oral antibiotic. Um, but once you've been on the oral antibiotic to clear it in combination with improving the barrier... It does tend to stay away, um, 
And so you don't need to stop makeup altogether, but you maybe need to look at the makeup that you're using. Look at the brushes that you're using or the, the sponges that you might be using because if bacteria is being transferred in that way, then sometimes that also can cause it's it. It's so common. Very often women say, my concealer gives me dermatitis. And of course, it's always a concealer with a doe foot applicator or yeah. a brush applicator that's, that's never been washed. That's right. It's like the problem is not the concealer. The problem is the minging applicator yeah. that you're still using. Yeah. Um, Manisha says, and I'm sure lots of people can relate to this, I have a spot that's just not going away. I've had it for a good few weeks. It just goes up and down. What is it? Hard to see unless I see it. <laughs> Hard to say, sorry, unless I see it. You do, you can get those big hurty ones that never quite materialise and they kind of go up and down and up and down. They never quite develop yep. to a juicy whitehead that you can... I mean, as a dermatologist <laughs> working in skin cancer, I always immediately go, it might be a skin cancer <laughs> because it might be a skin cancer. Um, but it's signed is it sounds possibly a little bit like it might be a kind of hormonal acne spot so one that's come deep down within the hair follicle itself as opposed to um kind of a comedomal lesion then kind of extending down so it sounds like it might be something like that there it's because quite, it's fluctuating yeah just because it's fluctuating i also think they can fluctuate because people won't leave them alone they yeah. go out and they're the, the worst ones that you should really do have to leave alone because the yeah. more you press on it the more kind of inflammation and damage that you will do deeper down and then they cause scars. I'm a big believer in spot and acne patches, mainly because they stop they people messing. Them. Yeah. They stop people <laughs> messing with that. the spot. And so they absorb they absorb the gunk, but mainly they just make you leave them alone, especially if they're slightly pricier. You don't want to waste your money by peeling them that off. That is so funny. And people just leave well alone and everything's <laughs> kept clean. I never thought about like that Everything's at all. kept clean. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I do think they're pretty good. They're just like, you know, blister plasters, but time yeah. Yeah. that you put on a spot. But um, the other thing as well is, is sometimes putting just cold ice cubes on it as well can yeah. help to reduce Swelling. the inflammation of it, yeah, if you feel tempted that you want to touch it. Uh, this one came up a lot, a lot. Laura wants to know, if you've got lots of visible veins on your legs, is that something to get checked out or is it just a cosmetic vanity issue? Is um, it a sign of a problem? Uh, not normally, no. I mean, if it's suddenly a whole lot of big you know, the larger blue veins and you get them all of a sudden, well, then that's definitely something that you should check out um, because that might suggest that there's something going on in the pelvic area. Um, but if it's just these tiny little small purplish um, veins, then no, it's just part of normal responsive kind of um, gravity and orthostatic pressure on the legs. It's very often as well, just your skin tone and everything. I'm really veiny because I'm really white and you can see, you can just see that's just who I yeah. am. Yeah. But what you seem to be saying is if it happens abruptly or suddenly then any sudden change needs to be looked at. Avon has championed breast cancer awareness for over 25 years and donated £20 million to charities. This Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Avon and Copper Feel are launching Breast Breaks. The campaign aims to encourage women and men to take the time to check their breasts and pecs regularly to spot the early signs of breast cancer. You can find out more by visiting avon.uk.com forward slash causes. Take a hashtag breast break. Lottie wants to know age spots. I have a large one on my cheek and I want to get rid of it. I think it's probably an expert job, but I have no idea where to start. What's the procedure and who can do it? 
Um, so it depends again on what the age spot exactly is. Um, so if it's a very just flat age spot, then probably the quickest and kind of most cost effective and evidence based effective way of treating it is to have it laser removed. Um, it's done. You've got a healing time of about normally about ten days until it's healed over. You must keep it protected from the sunshine, but that's the quickest and easiest way to do it. If it's a big thickened one, well then it probably needs a mechanical way of of scraping it down. Um, I did one actually on the Bad Skin Clinic. I don't know if you've seen the episode with Lily. It's rather hilarious. <laughs> She's so funny. Um, so you can see the procedure on that if you want to have it scraped down. Um, but the, they should be looked at first to determine that mm-hmm. it is just an yeah, age spot, mm-hmm. the most important thing. Um, and then after that, it's actually very easy to treat. So if it's something that's bothering you, then it's it's easily done. Um, I had it. And it was extremely effective. Scraped um, or lasered? Laser. So just bear in mind that everything goes darker yes. for a few days and then it comes away because I think people get really frightened because when they see people. there's something psychologically rewarding almost when you feel oh, I loved little, it. It's almost like a scab-like yeah. texture, isn't it? And then it just whoop. I loved it, yes. Everything goes darker before mm. before it comes off. So people just need to be aware that that's a good sign, not I think a bad the thing, sign. though, is that a lot of people don't realise, obviously they understand when they have an age spot because you can see it as a specific shape, but actually so much photo damage... As, as a nation, so in Ireland, the UK, we actually do suffer a lot with photo damage well, in general, right. don't we? We and just don't see it as it. Whereas we're obsessed with lines, wrinkles and specific age spots, but not yeah. the overall discoloration. And you do see these very flat marks that are often left for a long time, just thought to be an age spot. And actually, it might be something called a lintago maligna, which is a pre-malignant form of a melanoma. And typically, we used to just see these in people generally in the head and neck over the age of about 60. But, you know, I'm increasingly seeing it in younger patients. In fact, last week I had an Irish girl in her 30s and a man in his late 20s. So, you know, we do see these things much earlier and they're pre-malignant forms of um, melanoma. So um, that's why I really keep saying get it checked Checked, out before you get it treated. Maya wants to know, can I ask about sebaceous filaments and how to get rid of them? I mean, this seems to be a buzz term. What is the that? Day. <laughs> I've never even heard sebaceous of Sebaceous filaments, my understanding is, you know, when you get obviously um, congestion under the skin or you get your papular pustule, people understand what they are. So either they're the lumps under the skin that never materialise or your papula is your red spot and pustule has the bacteria in it. Uh, sebaceous filament is, uh, if I can be grotesque for a second, Please it's almost, do. you know, when you go to the corner of your nose and you go to squeeze it and little white wormy heads come out, that's yeah. how people would describe it them online okay so there a lot of people would say it's trapped um, makeup it's not cleansing thoroughly but it's ultimately oil that's just trapped in a specific yeah. area and it's usually it hasn't turned black here. yeah that hasn't been yeah, exposed that's and, all that yeah. is yeah I was to say, so one of the ways to get rid of them, because generally it's because your sebaceous glands are producing too much sebum yeah. in these areas. And the only kind of way really to improve that is to try and reduce the amount of sebum that's being made. Now, that can be through hormonal influences, but predominantly an easy thing to do is to put on a topical retinoid. That'll reduce down there. And Tally's question is similar. She's saying, I have millions of tiny blackheads on my nose and chin. How do I make them disappear? So topical retinoids. Benzoyl uh, peroxide. Peroxide, you're a big fan of beta hydroxy. Yes, if I can't get access to what you mentioned, I would go BHA, so 2% salicylic acid. And there's a lot of products on the market now that you can leave on for that little bit longer, so they call them like micro masks, so you can 
I suppose encourage the, the oil to be a little bit less, a little bit quicker, but just don't overdo it. And don't. I know this sounds really easy to say when you don't suffer with it at the moment, but just don't be obsessed about it. Most people tend to have it. I think the disadvantage yeah. of social media is that we're looking at ourselves probably 15,000 times a day. Oh, I know. We view mirrors are the worst thing in the world for it. So just be aware that if you actually got up close and personal to 10 people, they would have it too. Yeah. So I wouldn't 100%. I worried. say this all the time. So many women, particularly women over 35, are obsessed with the size of their pores. Oh. Because, but nobody Nobody oh, in the world Sally, looks at so your pores. Right. Nobody yeah. looks at pores <laughs> except you. Do you not? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so true. But I do think I think people often associate open pores and dilated pores with um, not cleansing properly or oilier skin. I do think that you see it as an aging process because elasticity is changing. Sure. And I think that if people pop it into aging, then that's fine. But they tend to, when they see an open pore, automatically buy astringent-based products, and that's not necessarily yeah. going to do anything. I to think it. just nobody scrutinizes our faces in the way that we scrutinize our faces. They're not close enough. They don't have time. They don't have the inclination. They have their own lives. And I think we can really obsess. Over it. And I agree with you. Social media hasn't. Are you a microneedling, yay or nay? Do you love or love? I I I hate home microneedling. That freaks me out. The bacteria and just all, all of it freaks me out. I'm not, I don't like these at home devices. I'm not completely convinced of its efficacy. I must say, but Emma. Um, it depends really what it's going to be used for. Yeah. Um, so if you're using it with surgical levels, microneedling um, devices for the use of scars, there's you know there's good evidence for that. For everything else, there's not great evidence for melasma. I hate it. Yeah. Um, and I've seen it worsen melasma. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, I like I like it in the right situation, but I certainly don't like it for everything. Can we stick with scars for a sec? Because this is a really common question. Claudette wants to know, what can you do about pitted acne scars? I fear the answer is diddly squat, but I hope there's something that would make them better. For example, laser. Can I just jump in here and say that I've seen some phenomenal results with filler in pitted acne? scars. Yeah. Um, so uh, I work at the London Scar Clinic mm-hmm. um, as their dermatolog- as their laser dermatologist. Right. So I treat a lot of um, scars with um, lasers and a lot of acne scars. The thing is with acne scars, the acne um, scars in different ways at different parts of the skin. So most people will have not just one ice pick scar, but they'll also have the different variants of these dipped atrophic scars. And there's actually quite a lot of different modalities that we use to treat these different types of scars. So, for example, if you've got these rolling scars where the skin undulates in and out, fillers are probably one of the best things that you can use to lift that out. Um, for p- boxcar scars, which are the scars that are the very classic pitted down and go flat at the bottom, um, some of the energy-based devices like a carbon dioxide laser is probably the most effective way of treating those. And then the use of very, very strong um, trichloroacetic acid um, dripped into those ice pick scars is very good for just sealing off the top of and the what pores. And what are you meaning when you say ice pick scars so, allow so um, us to visualise that? So an ice pick scar would look like almost like a dilated, like a very dilated pore. So it's very small on the surface and goes down deep, deep, deep um, into a very point at the bottom. So it almost looks like a very skinny triangle pointing mm-hmm. into the skin with a very small base at the top. So that would be a nice pick scar. So almost it's in between being just a very dilated pore and, and, and a true scar. 
So those are the ones that do probably best um, with the with a strong chemical like trichloroacetic acid and um, drip very gently on top of it to seal them over. So all the different types of scars do best with slightly different um, techniques. So a combination of fillers, subcision, which is where we break up the scars um, underneath the surface of the skin, along with energy-based devices, particularly carbon dioxide lasers. So what you seem to be advocating is seeing a scar specialist. Definitely. I mean, um, it's all of these kind of scar treatments are best done by somebody who does a lot of them yeah. and not somebody who's showing just pretty pictures of the befores and afters. It's going and having a full consultation so your skin can be properly assessed. You can have the different types of scars looked at to assess which is the right treatment for them because undoubtedly it's not just one thing. Caroline wants to know, skincare for kids, my 11-year-old son has bumps under the skin on his cheeks. He doesn't wash his face properly. I think lots of us mothers can identify with that. I want to get this in hand. What cleansing product can I get him to make sure this doesn't turn into spots? He's had a couple recently. I think... You are a mother, Jennifer. We're all mothers here. We're all, yes, mommies. I think the reality is that there's no harm in having a child start. I know this particular mother has a child with spots, but I think the younger you start, the better from a habitual situation. I'm not saying your child needs vitamin A or anything particularly active or no exfoliations. We all agree on no eye creams. But for me, I think it's about getting some right habit of cleansing and SPFing as best you possibly can. Um, The brands that you mentioned earlier would always be ones that I tend to encourage that you go to your pharmacy whether it's Bioderma, La Roche-Posay, Aven, that it's something I suppose a little Just bit more something calming. nice and bland I yeah. was, you know. Yeah. I, I really like for somebody of this age, um, you know, this is all the hormones starting to kick in. So those follicular units are starting to make a bit more sebum and they're just getting a little bit blocked along the way. When they turn into the spots, it's just because of that bacteria kind of getting down a few of them. So if you can almost reduce that bacterial load slightly on the skin um, and also in some kind of way ensure that the, the the follicular openings stay open, well, then that will help to reduce this a little bit. So um, the products that contain benzoyl peroxide are quite good good for this age group but just in very very low strength and usually just as a facial wash so I suppose so encouraging a facial the wash and morning and night um, I like the Neutrogena um, the pink grapefruit one's quite nice for um, kids to use plus they like the smell of it but once again it's about making it a pleasure isn't it that's if it's it, not yeah. a pleasure they won't do it that's exactly and, and right and the best thing is to make sure they yeah. do it uh, this is a bit of a hot topic that I'm sure we'll have views on Julia wants to know supplements are they worth it for skin for example hyaluronic and collagen for perimenopause menopause if yes to supplements which and that's a good question because not all supplements are created equal in that some I can't see the point in taking collagen personally but let's hear what your views I can imagine that we'll have different opinions but for me I do I do personally rate them only because I feel like I said earlier skin is a jigsaw puzzle not in how we refer people and what careers work together but also that you have to look after the skin from the inside and out so whether it is looking after yourself I still feel diet is key I know myself my own crazy lifestyle I don't tend to eat as well as I possibly could so I tend to lean on supplements in that situation so I'm not a big essential fatty acid eater I wouldn't get an awful lot through my diet so for that reason I would tend to lean on supplements. so you're not eating lots of fresh fish and all that kind of stuff not as much as I should I could lie and tell you I am but I'm not so for that reason I do as a human I don't make vitamin C so I take vitamin C internally zinc for my healing ability but I do see personal differences in my skin when I'm off and on and off it and the same with anyone that we consult with we have a nutritionist and a dietitian that works with us and they have opposing views but it really has to be down to the person and what they believe sees the difference but I do appreciate there's less data and clinical evidence on it than there are in other aspects of skincare but for me it makes sense what you put in you'll see out 
Emma? Yeah, so again, I have to come at this from a very evidence-based point of view. um, And there's very little evidence for any supplements um, and the benefit that's going to have on your skin. Obviously, it makes sense if you've got a wide and varied diet, then that's the most important thing. And if you are depleting certain vitamins, then certainly making sure that your vitamin levels um, or your nutritional levels are within the, 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 the correct range. For example, if you're not having any vitamin C, then you have scurvy and then your skin won't heal. Um, but unless you are nutritionally deplete, then I can't really advocate the use of supplements. However, the use of um, nicotinamide, um, which is um, an anti-inflammatory, it's one of the B vitamins. So the use of that orally is associated with a decrease in the development of non-melanoma skin cancers. So if you're somebody, for example, who has had a couple of skin cancers in the past, these non-melanoma types or at high risk of it, um, or have lived in environments that are going to put you at further high risk in the future, perhaps using nicotinamide at 500 milligrams in the morning and at night time um, will reduce that. The study was done, it's an excellent study, Um, it was done in Australia um, and published um, with with very, very, very good um, kind of overview and their statistics and it's a 23% reduction in your normalin and with skin cancer. I mean that's significant isn't That's it? meaningful. That, that is meaningful and as ever so much good stuff comes out of Australia on this subject yeah. because it's such a priority for them. Let's stick with um, sun care along the same lines. Gemma wants to know, I have an allergy to all SPF products, both mineral and physical, causing bad breakouts. How do I protect my skin without the pain of acne? What she's describing isn't an allergy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's probably the most important thing to note. It is not an immune system situation. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I think that... The, that's a very important point is a lot of people will find that when they put on sunscreens that it can cause some blockage of the skin and therefore they're more likely to get acne. I think what also has to be remembered is that UVB in itself um, will cause acne. So in the very short term, UVB appears to make acne seem better, but actually um, it makes it worse. So sometimes what happens to people is that they put their sun cream on, they don't put their sun cream on effectively, they then get acne a couple of weeks after they've been on a holiday but it's not because of the sun cream they put on because they haven't put their sun cream on effectively it's actually the UVB that's caused it so it's a lot about trial and error and about trying to find the right one if you think that the problem with the sun cream is causing you to have an acne then there are formulations that you can then um, look for to try and improve that so you can get much more water-based ones oil-free ones um, and most of the bigger brands so for example the Roche-Posay do one specifically for this ISDN the Spanish brand they also do one specifically for this Bioderma do an AKN regime so it's worth trying one of these things to try and see if they are helpful for you but there will be one that you can use Great and this uh, I want to ask this next question because it seems like it's not a skin question but it is Rebecca wants to know I'd like to know whether a dermatologist is the right person to speak to about my thin hair I've read that's the case but I'd feel an idiot asking a dermatologist about my hair for some reason I think this is key people don't realize that actually we're talking about the scalp which is skin Yeah that's right so the hair is in the remit of a dermatologist and I would thoroughly 
recommend and advise everybody if you if a problem a true problem with your hair then that's your first port of call and you can look for a dermatologist that has a special interest in hair um, and I would go straight to them first of all because if you do need to have a medical treatment um, implemented to try and treat your hair loss for example if you have a scarring alopecia that's causing your hair to be lost you want to get a medical treatment very quickly because that is an irreversible type of hair yes, loss time is of the essence exactly no, and and this is very common or certainly not at all unusual in women over 40. I yes. get so many questions about this, about women of a certain age um, are suffering from this. Um, final question before we go. I could be here all day. Beth wants to know, as a makeup artist, I never have the time to have a client to properly prepare their skin, preferably a week before I work with them on makeup application. Are there any quick fixes? I would say, personally... If it's all about makeup application, like a wedding, a special occasion, I would say blitz your skin with hydration, hydration, because that will have the quickest, most cosmetically pleasing effect. What would you guys say? I'd say start a week. A week before is, is I, I would rather start a year, two, three years before <laughs> a makeup application, but however. Yeah, I think you're right. I think encourage them to do an exfoliation perhaps the week before, whatever their chosen method might be. If they have time to have a facial, great. If it's a particular event and a certain occasion in their life. And then, yeah, dousing the skin with as much hydration as is possible. And keeping your diet as clean as possible for the week as well. That's a controversial one, but don't, I feel a drink, massive difference in smoke, my skin. All of that don't stuff live for that week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look forward to the event but I think that's it I really do and I think say for example it was a wedding and it's a particular event for them I would encourage you not to try too many new brands and not overload the skin so. very much so I could have done easily another six episodes it was so interesting such a joy to have you on please will you come back if we get the opportunity but in the meantime thank you so much Jennifer Rock and Dr Emma Craythorne and thank you for listening do keep your questions coming remember to tag me on social media and I will find you I'm Sally Who's Everywhere S-A-L-I thank you very much for listening this was the Beauty Podcast with Sally Hughes and it was brought to you by Avon <laughs>